0: It's Midday Magazine for Monday, July 31st. Happy last day of July. I'm Shelby Herbert. Federal transportation dollars are pouring into the Alaska Marine Highway System. It's saving the state money now, but Alaska's Ferry Board is looking far into the future and drafting a 20 year plan. As Coast Alaska's Angela Denning reports, it includes three new ferries in the next four years.
1: What should Alaska's marine highways look like in the next couple of decades? That's the question prompting a long-term ferry plan. Craig Tornga is Alaska's marine director.
2: The purpose of this whole plan is really to guide us, you know, in our capital and operating investments going all the way out through 2045.
1: He was speaking with the board that makes recommendations to the state during a lengthy meeting in mid-July. He said the plan seeks to standardize the fleet and terminals for efficiency. The state is working with marine engineering firm Elliott Bay Design Group out of Seattle. The first phase of the plan is set to be shared with the Alaska Legislature in August. The long-range plan lists many changes that are needed before the service can be reliable again. The Alaska Marine Highway connects 33 coastal communities. The services and funding have steadily declined over the past decade. Ferry board members have discussed improving the system since the board was created by the legislature and started meeting two years ago. At their last meeting, members like Juanita Ayers emphasized the importance of the marine highways. I've sat in many, many community meetings and heard over and over and over again from people about the importance of the ferry system in terms of their medical travel that many people cannot get on a small plane to get out of their communities to get to uh, the next level of medical care. But passengers likely won't see better service until more ferry workers are hired and the aging fleet is improved. Crew shortages, especially licensed crew, continue to be a problem. The plan seeks to keep eight vessels serving 35 ports of call over the next three years and one vessel in maintenance. However, only six ferries are running this summer, there are no reserve ferries on standby for emergencies or unplanned maintenance needs. And that will continue to create reliability issues until the fleet sizes increased. the plan states. That's supposed to happen in the next few years. Three new ferries are to be added to the fleet by the end of 2027. One of them will be a hybrid model, and one will be electric. The next phases of the long-range plan will look at demographics and demand for all marine highway communities and seek input from stakeholders. A draft of the 20-year plan is expected to be finished next summer. Board member Norm Carson encouraged the engineers to get data from locals. He's lived in Pelican on Chichikov Island since 1967 and says the population fluctuates.
3: The community probably at least doubles in size between April and, say, October. So what you see on a census data is not nearly accurate. Get a hold of myself the mayor or somebody like that for more information.
1: Juliet Lehman with the engineering firm assured the board that getting local feedback is part of the process. She says they'll be checking with stakeholders to make sure the data in the plan meshes with reality. To receive input from community members to ensure that the data set is a collection of information that is accurate, up to date. Like he said, maybe some of our sources don't have the nuance that a community member would have first-hand knowledge of. The state of Alaska spent just $7.5 million operating ferries last year. That's over $100 million less than it spent in 2015. That's because the federal government is sending transportation money throughout the country, including nearly $97 million to Alaska ferries last year. Federal dollars for ferries are expected to continue coming to the state through the Infrastructure Investments and Jobs Act. About a billion dollars is allocated to ferry projects in the country with routes greater than 50 miles, which places Alaska in the position to get a lot of the funds. Reporting for Coast Alaska in Petersburg, I'm Angela Denning.
0: Many communities across southeast Alaska hold a salmon fishing competition in the summer, but Petersburg's King Salmon Derby went belly up in 2018. That's because of historically low king returns to south-central southeast rivers like the Stikine. But on the other side of Kupranoff, Cake's annual Children's Fishing Derby is still swimming strong. It's scheduled to kick off this Saturday at the Cake City Dock, beginning at sunrise. Participants can enter their catch from 9 a.m. until 2 p.m. that day. Pre-registration isn't required, and participation is free. Youth up to 16 years of age can join in the fun. Life jackets, lender rods, and reels, as well as hot dogs and beverages will be provided at the event. Prize categories are for kids aged 5 and under, ages 6 to 12, and ages 13 to 16. This year, organizers are bringing back classic competition categories like the largest saltwater fish by weight, the largest freshwater fish by length, and a casting contest. Organizers are also also casting in a few new categories. Such as one for the ugliest or most unique fish. There's another category for the most colorful fish, which could include the vibrant China rockfish or kelp greenlings known to inhabit the area. The day's winners will be declared and the prizes handed out after the weighing closes at 2 p.m. The event is the result of a collaboration between the U.S. Forest Service, Cake Tribal Corporation, the Organized Village of Cake, the Alaska Department of Fish and Game, and the Northern Southeast Regional Aquaculture Association. For more information, you can contact Amanda Davis at 907-209-2331. The numbers are in for the first opening in the summer troll fishery for king salmon in southeast Alaska. The 12-day season saw more Chinook landed than expected, despite fewer boats being on the water. Robert Woolsey reports from Sitka.
2: Southeast trollers brought in about 85,000 king salmon from July 1st to July 12th, about 8,000 fish over the target for the first opener of the season. At first, it might look like enthusiasm played a role, as it was only on June 21st that the U.S. Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals issued a stay that allowed the fishery to occur at all. But that was not the case. Grant Hagerman manages the troll fishery for the Alaska Department of Fish and Game. He says even fewer trollers participated this summer than in 2022.
4: Uh, You know, we had 580 roughly participants in that King fishery last year, and we're, you know, just over 500 for this opening.
2: As recently as 10 years ago, Hagerman says it was more typical to see 800 trollers during the first Summer King opener. Having 80 boats drop out in just one year suggests that the Wildfish Conservancy lawsuit created just enough uncertainty to steer trollers into other fisheries or even into other lines of work.
4: Until, you know, just a, a, several weeks before the fishery, I think a, a lot of permit holders uh, maybe had to make other plans, whether that was, you know, finding other work in town, um, you know, long lining instead, you know, just that question mark. I think some of them had to make plans and and just didn't fish the opening. Some of the permit holders from out of state may not have come up. Obviously, fuel is still an issue as well.
2: Nevertheless, the fishing was pretty good for the 500 boats that stayed in the game. Hagerman says three days of bad weather during the opener meant for some busy days during good conditions. A lot of the work involved shaking undersized kings, which were below the legal length of 28 inches, and trying to keep hooks free for bigger fish. Hagerman says trollers tend to pull their gear and move to a different area when they're catching a lot of shakers. The average weight of legal fish was 11 pounds
4: and surprisingly legal fish that are, you know, even under the 10 pounds, you know, they're just kind of long and skinny. There's a fair amount of those, but um, so it's, you know, I wouldn't say, like, alarmingly low compared to, to recent years, but, you know, for the long term, yeah, it's it's still down.
2: Hagerman says prices were comparable to the long-term average for summer kings, between 5 and $6 per pound. The market forces that created low prices for Alaska's sockeye fisheries have not been a factor for kings. The delay of Chinook fishing in Canada and the closure of California's salmon fishery both helped to prop up prices for southeast kings. Although the first opener exceeded its target, roughly 24,000 kings remain in the summer troll allocation for kings. Hagerman anticipates that the Department of Fish and Game, after accounting for landings in the sport and commercial net fisheries, will make an announcement regarding a second king opening on August 4th. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey.
0: A labor dispute in Skagway between White Pass Yukon Route and its rail workers has ended. Last Wednesday, both parties signed an agreement that will keep the trains going and the workers on the job. Alain de Prémeny has more.
5: Rail workers for the White Pass and Yukon route have sought a wage increase to keep up with the cost of living in Skagway.
3: Negotiations began six years ago.
5: Jason Geiler works on the company's trains, taking tourists through the mountains and into Canada. He switches between positions, sometimes he is the engineer sometimes the brakeman or the conductor. He is also the union representative for the more than 25 people who work the same positions. He has taken part in the negotiations with their employer.
3: It started at the end of 2017 and with such a change that's happened in our environment, obviously with COVID and with the sale of the organization in 2018, and obviously there have been several factors that have, have allowed for that delay all the way until now.
5: Geiler says the workers had not gotten a raise in over six years. So, earlier this month, they voted to go on strike if their demands were not met. But there was another sticking point. Tyler Rose is the executive director at White Pass and Yukon Route.
4: You know, what we were looking at was, you know, with technology into the future, uh, the potential for something through attrition.
5: Rose says the company considered phasing out the brakeman position on the train. He says that position could have been automated. Geiler says the workers disagreed.
3: That brakeman role, that third individual on board the trains, is a critical one.
5: He says with only three people responsible for the safety of up to 600 passengers, employees didn't want to see that position eliminated.
3: Though automation works in some areas and has, in some capacity, been used in a freight line to success, just doesn't work when you add the human factor into it.
5: Rose says the company conceded. It really is that balance between efficiencies and
4: what makes sense and then managing the workforce uh, in a positive way.
5: Eventually, the parties drafted an agreement. The breakman position would remain, health benefits would be maintained, and workers would see a wage increase. Rose says he is pleased with the agreement. It's a substantial wage increase that we're pleased
4: with and our employees are pleased with, and we're, we're just very happy to be moving forward on this.
5: Geiler says an overwhelming majority of the workers voted to support the agreement.
3: We look forward to being able to work together and, and move into the future, uh, resting assured, knowing that we're able to enjoy those successes together with the organization.
5: The agreement will be up for review in 2027. For KHNS, I'm Alan DePromineau.
0: Wrangell will no longer contribute any local funding to a state children's social worker based on the island. The community had been splitting the position's salary with the state for the past year. The worker is meant to help advocate for minors in unsafe or abusive situations. But Wrangell's elected leaders have voted against contributing even partial funding for the position. Wrangell was the first community in Alaska to make a deal with the State Office of Children's Services to have a children's social worker based in town. Every other OCS position in Alaska is fully funded by the state itself. In June, Wrangell's borough assembly struck the 50% funding from its annual budget. At the time, some Assembly members said they might consider a lower percentage deal where the community would pay a quarter of the salary and benefits, $25,000. At a meeting last Tuesday, Borough Manager Jeff Good told the Assembly it might be a moot point anyway. He said the current local OCS worker is moving, which puts the whole deal up in the air
4: doesn't sound like they're really excited about trying to bring somebody back here and fill the position. So it would really be us trying to, and I'm not sure if the $25,000 would still be good if they would even bring someone back. Based on the, the workload and the cases that they have here, the first one was gone quite a bit, and this would cover about a quarter of what their salary is. So I'm not sure what the what we get out of spending this money and then even trying to go after OCS to bring the position back here.
0: That was the last straw for Assemblymember Dave Powell, who initially proposed cutting the position's funding from Wrangell's budget.
2: We already give them office
3: space, and I mean, I, no one, no other community is, is putting into this, so why would we even pay for a quarter of it if they're being used by a lot of other communities
1: and they're not paying anything? I just feel that the state should actually, this should be something the state is, they should be funding this for our community. Mm-hmm we should not be losing something because of what they're doing.
0: Most of the assembly agreed, voting to cut any local contribution to the position. Assemblymember Bob Dalrymple was the only Wrangle elected leader to vote in favor of 25% funding for the position. Borough manager Good clarified that it won't be the end of a children's social worker ever coming to Wrangle, but they likely won't contribute uh, won't continue to be based on the island
4: as calls come in they will still bring somebody here on a case-by-case basis as needed so we'll still get the services they just won't have someone here locally
0: if the state does decide to fully fund a position based in Wrangell, local officials say they are still willing to provide office space in the community's public safety building for kfsk i'm shelby herbert